want to remind you that it's Christmas Eve this coming Friday. It's already here. And we know there are storms coming in this week, and we don't know about your travel plans and all that. But if you are in town and available, we'd love to have you. Our services are at 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. It's a candlelight service, so it's a little bit different than being here on a Sunday. You'll get a little candle to light. And it'll, it'll just be an enjoyable experience, and hopefully, you know, everyone gets here safely. Uh, so that's happening this Friday, which, of course, rolls us into Christmas Day. Merry Christmas to all of you, if I don't see you. Um, there's more. Let me think. Yes. Oh, yes, coffee before that. All right. So Drink Coffee, Do Stuff, if you don't know already, is a coffee shop downtown. They're also at Incline Village. Nick and Laura Visconti are owners of that. They're part of our community here at this church. They are probably not here because they're going to have their baby very soon. She is due, and they're just awaiting her arrival. And so, you know, in purchasing coffee for those you love, you're supporting the missions fund here. You're also supporting a little baby girl. She doesn't know it, but she's going to love it and appreciate it very much. So that coffee is available for you um, out in the foyer. And I want to talk about year-end giving uh, this one last time. That's not true. I'm going to talk about it next week. But almost this one last time because it is the end of 2021. And so if you uh, want to have all of your contributions added up for this year, everything needs to be donated or contributed uh, or postmarked by December 31st. Uh, With that, Pastor Wayne is going to come up and talk a little bit more about uh, staff Christmas gifts. I always think about Christmas Eve because this place is packed and everybody has fire. (laughs) I mean, it is a fire marshal's nightmare. And, uh, but we haven't burned the place down, and this will be my 31st Christmas on the pastoral staff at Sierra Bible Church. And so, so I feel a little awkward up here right now because it's, uh, is that Dave Wada? No, it's not Dave Wada. You look just like, I'm going to have to, I mean, you're better looking than him, but, but, uh. You know, this is kind of a reversal of roles for me. Usually we have uh, one of the elders or somebody else make an appeal for a staff Christmas gift. Uh, I've been a recipient of that for the last 30 years. And I just want to let you know, you know, because I'm, I'm stepping aside from the pastoral staff in just a few more days and on the 31st of December. And, um, but for 31 years, you know, have been here and You've got an incredible staff at this church. And for 31 years, I've worked with some of the best and some of the most faithful. And I want you to know, you know, they're not overpaid either for the hours they put in. And I remember a man coming to me one time many, many years ago and giving me a real hard time. And I, I tried to be kind, and I just simply said, you know, brother, he was, he was saying I was getting paid too much. And I said, I, you wouldn't pastor you for what I get. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, ministry isn't just about Sundays. There's a lot of things that go on. 
There's a lot of joy. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of weeping over the flock that we serve. And so at Christmas time, we've asked people to consider giving a Christmas gift for the staff at this time of the year. One thing that I implemented during my 27 years as the senior pastor of this church is that Christmas gift, there's no hierarchy in this. It gets divided among the pastoral staff evenly. It wasn't that, you know, senior pastor and then down to whoever. And so when you give that gift, it is shared equally with our staff and our pastoral staff. And so I would ask that you uh, consider and prayerfully consider this. This is one of those things that, you know, some years uh, that Christmas gift is here and there's other years that that Christmas gift is here. And uh, it's just the way it goes. But we're asking, I'm asking you, since uh, this will be my last part in this, and um, prayerfully consider blessing your pastoral staff because they love you, and they serve you, and they serve you well. Another one of the things that is great about hanging around here for the last 31 years is watching people grow. I've had the opportunity in the last few years to marry babies that I dedicated. And what a trip, you know, that you've been there on both ends of that. And this morning, our youth pastor, Caleb Dero, is going to be bringing the word to us. And Caleb's another one of those that, you know, I knew him when he was this high. And to watch him grow into, you know, a teenager and then a young man and then a husband and a father, a man of God, it's been a joy to watch that transition. And uh, I know ushers, I, I see you back there, Brad. If you need a Bible before Caleb comes, hold your hands up and uh, the ushers will put a Bible in your outstretched hand. But today, God's word is gonna be proclaimed to God's people through our youth pastor, Caleb Dero. having issues with this microphone making noises. I can't handle it. <laughs> I also move a lot, so it's a problem. Um, one out of 20 pastors retire faithfully from the ministry. One out of 20. Um, that's something to meditate on and something to consider in the next two weeks as Pastor Wayne is faithfully running his race and retiring. It's, it's a noble thing. It's a wonderful thing. It is thank you, Lord, kind of a thing. Um, I, think, I think out of like the guys who sign up to go to Buzz, I knew I saw you. I kept seeing Devin Hayes in the audience, and I'm like, wait, I, and then I'd look again, and you were gone. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so happy to see you, Devin. <laughs> um, That was so weird. I thought I was going crazy. Um, I think one out of 16 Navy SEALs make it through Buzz. Well, they're not Navy SEALs if they don't make it through Buzz. But, you know, that's a pretty hard thing. That's a tough thing, but it's one out of 16. One out of 20 pastors retire faithfully. So consider that, pray about that, think about that, um, and bless Pastor Wayne. 
as he uh, finishes his race here. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25. That's our text this morning. Would you please stand with me as we read God's word? Matthew, eight, Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to the son, and he called his name Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to come with an expectation that your word never returns void. It's active and living, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, you are always working to conform us into the image of of your son, Jesus Christ. You're always working to draw us closer to yourself, Lord, that we would see you more clearly, know you more intimately, Lord. Please draw us close. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please silence your cell phones. (laughs) Matthew 1, 18. Uh, maybe before I get into this, I've got three kind of ideas. I, I almost hesitate to call them points, but three concepts that I'm, I'm trying to drive home this morning, and I'm going to, it's a little bit of a pattern that we see in Scripture throughout, and I'm going to point to some other parallel passages that have the same pattern. That pattern being, God comes down, and then these two questions, what about you, God, and what about me? And these are the three ideas, three concepts that I'm trying to uh, this pattern that is laid in scripture for us and it's very applicable to every human being's heart. God comes down. What about you, God? What about me? Um, Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ invaded Mary's life in a unique way. Jesus Christ broke into Mary's life in a unique way. No one else will share that experience. Um, That she would, by the Holy Spirit, conceive the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did exist before this body of his existed. He dwelt in eternity in heaven, but he broke into Mary's life in a very unique way. However, the principle, that idea is the same for all of us. God invades our life. God comes to us. God comes down 
I don't know what I'm going to have to do, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> I just can't stand it. Um, God comes down. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. Mary did not make herself pregnant. (laughs) Couldn't do it alone. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God comes into your life. God invades your life. God saves your life. God comes down. You don't reach up, measure up, live up. God comes down. Next part of that verse, 18, she was found with child. We don't know exactly how this all came about, how this happened. When, when she first has the angel Gabriel come to her and the Holy Spirit comes upon her and she conceives this child, she immediately gets up and goes to her aunt's house, Elizabeth, for three months and then returns home. The Bible doesn't tell us, but like, you know, I mean, it could have happened in a number of ways. She could have showed up after three months and there's a little bit of a baby bump, maybe not quite three months, maybe it's a little longer than that, but she comes home and all of a sudden... <laughs> This baby bump starts showing and then, you know, does Joseph have an awkward conversation, an awkward conversation with her of like, (laughs) or does he just, you know, kind of inform her, hey, it's obvious what's going on here and I'm going to quietly divorce you. Did she come to him and and say, hey, the Holy Spirit has come upon me and I'm pregnant? (laughs) No matter what, the point I'm trying to make here is... um, this process, this moment in time, we, um, we memorialize it with lights and ornaments and ribbons and bows and poinsettias and, and decorations, and we, we make it very pretty. <laughs> this is a very shiny moment for us, but for Mary and for Joseph, this was humiliating and painful and messy and scary and even threatening. Mary could have been put to death for this. Um, in the ancient world at this time, if you were caught in adultery in Egypt, they'd cut your nose off. If you were caught in adultery in Syria, they would cut your nose and your ears off. If you were caught in adultery as a young Jewish girl, they would throw rocks at you until you died. A stoning um, is what they called it. So this moment for them, even with God coming and speaking to Mary and telling her what's going to happen, it's terrible. This is hard. This is difficult. And it's, it's our kind of subconscious um, lie that we sometimes tend to believe that when God works, it's always supposed to be just feel good. <laughs> and that's not the case. You never see that in the Bible. I mean, please come and talk to me afterwards and show me the story where it didn't just, it wasn't rough. <laughs> it wasn't difficult. It wasn't uncomfortable, humiliating, painful, scary, disappointing, shameful, and threatening. Um, every time I see God working in people's lives in the Bible, it's those things. It's those situations. And so that's a truth that we have to kind of encourage ourselves, remind ourselves that God is at work in the midst of difficulty. And we often forget that. We we memorialize it. We put bows and ribbons and lights and ornaments on those things. But this was hard for them. She's asking a couple questions of the Lord. Back to, you know, kind of my three ideas, my three three kind of points. God, are you at work here? Are you gonna are you gonna be faithful here? What about you, God? 
Are you going to show up? Are you going to talk to my husband who's now, you know, divorcing me? And back then, if you were engaged, you had to get divorced to separate from that. Um, it, it was a very serious thing, you know, and she's like, am I going to be destitute? Am, you know, am I going to be impoverished? And am I going to be shamed? Am I even going to be able to live long enough to deliver this savior of the world? Um, so those questions, what about you, God? What about me? God comes down. Uh, let's move on. In verse 19, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I tend to be an optimistic person, and I can tend to um, think the best of Joseph. But as I was studying this, I was like, man, just look at the details and remove the person, remove the nostalgia from these details. We've got a young lady who is pregnant and it's not her fault. (laughs) She didn't make this happen. Her fiance who loves her does not believe her story. And he dumps her because he's afraid of the shame and the scrutiny and the scandal that he will enter into if he continues to stay in a relationship with her. Now, if we just look at those details, Joseph, <laughs> Joseph doesn't look so good. <laughs> Joseph's asking some of the same questions that Mary is. Could this really be God at work? <laughs> what about you, God? How could, and, and maybe it's even like, God, how could you let this happen to me? I wanted to marry this young Jewish girl who he probably knew her whole life. They grew up in this small village together. He probably had seen her and known her his entire life and had this hope of marrying this sweet young lady. And, uh, and all of a sudden, she's pregnant. <laughs> and he's feeling maybe inadequate, angry, um, betrayed. God, how could you let this happen? God, what about you? And then... And then what about me? I can't, I can't enter into this. I can't, I can't step into this shame. I can't, I can't handle this. I can't bear the scrutiny. God, what about you? What about me? The Lord comes down. And one thing that I think is important to, to uh, realize is despite God coming down, Joseph, he's under this scandal and this shame his entire life. It's not like this all goes away. Jesus is under this, this scandal and, his, and this shame as well. In his public ministry in John eight nineteen, it says, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. The Pharisees are challenging him. They're, they're jabbing at him. They're saying, who's your dad? Who's your dad, Jesus? They're, they're poking at, you're an illegitimate son. They're calling him a dirty name, <laughs> This scrutiny doesn't just go away. It's difficult. There is um, the disapproval and the unacceptance of the world. Joseph's asking the same questions. What about you, God? What about me? And God comes down. One thing I want to... Par- these ideas I want to kind of parallel throughout um, the Bible a little bit. And um, we're going to look at Acts chapter 9 with Saul, and we're going to look at Genesis 15 with Abraham, and I might mention Genesis is like 32 with, with Jacob, but turn to Acts uh, chapter 9, verse 1. 
What about you, God? What about me? God comes down. This is uh, Saul before he was Paul. And it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Again, that same question. What about, what about you, God? Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to him, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? This is the New King James Version. ESV doesn't have that second question. So he, trembled and, uh, so he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So Paul, Saul, has the same moment with the Lord. God, what about you? God, what about me? God came down. And it's important, I, I think, to look at, at Paul here because he's not doing anything good <laughs> to get God to come down into his life. What does it say in verse 1? It says that he is breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He is doing exactly what he shouldn't do, and yet God comes down. Back, you know, that verses, those verses out of Ephesians 2, it's, it's by grace, not by works, lest anyone should boast. This is a work of God. God came down. Genesis 15. Uh, Abraham has the same kind of moment with God. Uh, he, little backstory real quick. Abraham has just defeated, like, multiple kingdoms, with like his little 300 men who are not warriors, they're servants, and he's scared that they're going to come after him. Genesis 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, oh, sorry, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring in a member of my household, will be my heir. God had previously promised to Abraham that he would have a son. He would have many descendants, like the sands of the seashore or the stars in the heaven. God had made this promise to Abraham, and Abraham is saying, hey, are you going to come through? What about you, God? Are you going to be faithful? Are you going to hold to your word? And God responds in verse 4, Genesis 15, verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and the number, and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldees to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? There's a second question. You know, question one, God, are you, what about you, God? Are you going to be faithful? Are you going to keep your promise to me? Are you going to give me a son? Second question, how am I going to possess this land? How am I going to, how am I going to own this? How am I going to step into this? How, how am I going to be able? How am I going to be faithful? What about you, God? What about me? God came down. And if you, you skip a couple verses, um, we're going to jump to 17. Right before that, God commands Abraham, 
Abraham, I want you to prepare a covenant. Get a bull and, and a ram and some other animals and cut them in half, lay them side by side. And, and this was a form of a, a contract in the old ancient world. And, and so Abraham's like, God, how am I going to be faithful? And he's probably under, operating under this idea that, oh, you want me to prepare a covenant. You want me to make a binding promise, and that's how I'll be faithful. Gotcha. Okay. And, and I, I have done that as a young Christian. I have had moments where I'm like, I never want to do this again. I know. I'll make God a promise. <laughs> this will keep me from sinning. It doesn't work. <laughs> and it wouldn't have worked for Abraham. So he prepares the covenant. I mean, the, the idea here with this covenant is that, um, say you had uh, a bathroom remodel that you wanted to do and you're talking with the plumber, and you agree on a price and, and the time frame of which this work will be done, and at the end of you know, your discussion, you're like, okay, now we're going to cut this bull in half and this goat, and we're going to set them aside, and all their blood and guts are going to be here, and we're going to walk through these cut-up animals together, and the idea is if either of us reneges on the deal, this is what happens to the other guy. Man, things would be tight. <laughs> so it's, it is not quite a contract. It's a little bit more than that. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I feel just as much for the plumber who gets, you know, the work gets done and the, and the homeowner's like, yeah, thanks. I'm not paying you. See ya. It's like, that wouldn't be happening if we cut animals in half and walk through them. It would happen a lot less. Uh, you take those agreements very seriously. So Abraham prepares the covenant, cuts these animals in half, and then he is put to sleep. God comes down. Verse 17, Genesis 15, 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham didn't make a covenant with the Lord. Abraham didn't walk through the covenant. Just the Lord did. Only the Lord did. And this, this language here of a smoking pot and a flaming torch, you got to realize the guy who wrote Genesis was Moses most likely, and he's a lawyer. His, his language is not, it's not the, as good <laughs> as David's. David describes God coming down in 2 Samuel 22, 18 through 16, and I want to look at that because it's a better description of this moment. And not just this exact moment, but just God coming down. The earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and a devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundation of the world was laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord and at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. That's a much better description of God coming down. <laughs> Lawyer, songwriter, David, Moses. Um, D David nailed it. <laughs> All of that fit in baby Jesus. That's amazing. God came down. And to kind of circle back to to our two characters this morning, Joseph and Mary, how did he come down? He comes down in a, in a form of a baby and he comes down and he approaches Joseph and Mary and he, he extends to them an, a new identity. 
Um, if you look at uh, Luke one twenty eight, it says, And he came to her and said, the angel Gabriel, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And if you look how the angel Gabriel approaches Joseph, he says, Joseph, son of David. To both of these individuals, he, he declares this identity that they don't necessarily deserve or, or have the right to possess, but he extends it to him by grace. You know, son of David, you have royal blood in your veins. You have nobility upon you. Rise up. And, and same to Mary, you are highly favored. And Mary's like freaked out, and, and, and the angel even repeats it. You're the, you are favored, Mary. And God approaches us in the same way. In, in 1 Peter 2, 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I love those descriptions of us. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Um, I may have told this story before, but it's one of my favorites. My, I have a friend, he's a youth pastor in Sacramento. His name's Dustin Reeves, and he grew up in Elk Grove as like a gangbanger. And um, he ends up homeless at age 19. He's in a gang, and they called it The Grove, and it was a, a tough neighborhood. And he, um, he's homeless, and his cousin reaches out and says, hey, you can come live with me, but you've got to go to church on Sundays. He's like, well, okay. So he's got, you know, big baggy pants and a big hoodie all the time. It's Sacramento, middle of summer. He doesn't care. That's how he dresses. And he, he's living with his cousin. And then um, his cousin kind of sweetens the deal a little bit. He's like, hey, you can live with me, but you got to go to summer camp. <laughs> and their summer camp is on a houseboat. <laughs> and so here's this gangbanger with big baggy pants and a big hoodie on, and he's on a houseboat. He's not wearing board shorts. <laughs> And he's just the most awkward kid there. You know, he's the kid that some parents are like, you're letting Dustin go on the trip? <laughs> and uh, he's got his hood on all the time, hands in his like hoodie pocket, and he's slouching in his seat. And he's feeling totally out of place. And to be honest, he is. <laughs> There's all these little church kids and stuff. And then Dustin. And he hears this verse. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. This is the NIV's translation of it. And I just, it's so specific, that, that I, special possession. And that word just hit him. The word of God just came down on him and, and hit, hit him. He, it's the morning session when he hears that verse. And he immediately like goes to his bunk on the houseboat. Everybody else is playing. Everybody else is in the water, tubing, skin and stuff. He's in his hoodie and his long pants and he's sitting on his bunk bed. And he's just... He's mulling this over with the Lord. He's like, special? I have never been special to anyone. My dad's not even in my life. My mom has never once tucked me in to bed and said, you were special. I've never been special to anyone. This can't be true. And the, and the Holy Spirit's just ministering to him. It is true. You are my special possession. And he's there for like the whole day. <laughs> Going back and forth with God and God just continuing to, to reaffirm this truth. You are my special possession. And he gets saved. And he ends up going back home and he, he serves in the children's ministry. And he ends up staying at that church till today. It's like 20 years later and he's still been faithfully serving at the same church. He's the youth pastor now and leads missions trips. And it's just, I love that story. I love how it's, it's I don't, and, and I love it because I have such an opposite story. 
I grew up in the church, um, had great parents who did tell me I'm special. I had, you know, it, it, look, my parents are flawed human beings. They're sinners who need Jesus. However, in this world, in, in the darkness that I've seen, I've had like the best of the best, it seems like, um, by God's grace. And I need this message just as much as Dustin does. My heart, it's, it's funny, it's almost because of the revelation of having some of the best parents, they're not enough. It's not enough. You can have the best parents in the world, they're not enough to fill this part, place in your heart. Only God can do this. It, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about, you know, it's like, we have these ideas that if I could only have like a vacation at the sea, I'd be all right. He's like, it's only those who, who have the best vacations that realize it's not enough. I need the Lord. I need the Lord to speak this to my heart, to come and invade my life and tell me that I am a chosen, his chosen people, a royal priest of the holy nation, God's special possession. David says something very similar in 2 Samuel 23, verse 1. He, he calls himself, it's his last song that he writes in his life, and he calls himself the sweet psalmist of Israel. Um, but it's also translated the favorite of the strong one of Israel. David says, I'm God's favorite. And when God speaks this to you, that's how it feels. You're my favorite. And you may have been nobody's favorite ever, but God says, you're my favorite. And we bristle at that. Like, that can't be. I can't say that. I can't own that position. I can't believe that. I'm lowly and not good. But God is saying, no, 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 no. You have switched places with my son, Jesus Christ. You are my favorite. That's a hard thing for us to believe, isn't it? It's, you don't, ooh, I can't say that. You must. Verse 21, back in uh, Matthew 8, uh, chapter 1. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall come and conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In this text, we have the answer to, what about you, God, and what about me? This answer is, and, and, and here's the thing, if you're going to honestly ask the question, you have to listen and obey what he gives you as an answer. God names himself. He will be called Jesus. Yahweh saves. Yeshua, Yahweh saves. Yahweh does the work. God saves. Not me, not partially me. I'm not reaching up, not measuring up. God comes down. God saves. And then, and what about me? You are a son of David. You are highly favored. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You're God's favorite. And if you're going to be a Christian, you have to accept his answers. And I love that that's how this ends. Joseph, in obedience, calls him Jesus receives the identity that he's been given by the Lord as, you know, there's some, there's some nobility in you, Joseph. You can do this. You can bear this. I'll be with you. You shall call him Jesus, and he does. Uh, Hebrews 1, uh, 12, 1 through 2. 
It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And uh, this idea of weight and sin, um, that weight, let's look at that first. It's, it's first up in the lineup in the verse, and you have to lay that aside. That weight being you cannot reach God. You cannot make yourself pregnant. You cannot conceive a child by yourself. You cannot produce Jesus Christ in your life. It's something that he does. God comes down. We don't go up. We don't measure up. We don't live up. God comes down. So let that go. Let that weight go. Set down that stone that you've been carrying. You can't get up there anyways. (laughs) It's not possible. So set it down. And the other weight being this false identity that you have labeled yourself with and pick up, take up the identity that God is giving you that you're his favorite and you have to believe that. If you do those things, then you will be able to deal with sin in your life. You will be able to be obedient to the Lord if you take up those things. If you take on the identity that he is giving you, if you set down the weight of trying to reach to him and and see that he has reached you Verse 2, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see the method in which Jesus was able to endure the cross? The joy that was set before him. It's because of the joy that was set before him that he was able to do that. If you are motivating yourself in, in that kind of negative talk way, like I'm not good enough, I'm a sinner, I'm the worst, you're not going to make it. Jesus needed to use this kind of method of motivating yourself by the joy that is set before you, before him. We don't stand a chance if we're not following his method, if we're not following the same pattern. It's for the joy that was set before him that he was able to be obedient and endure the cross. He didn't want to go there. He was sweating blood and asking, Lord, is there any other way? He did not want to go and pay that, that price. But because of the joy that was set before him, he did. And it, it, by in learning to enjoy that you're God's favorite, you'll be able to endure whatever cross is before you, whatever the Lord has asked you. And that can, oh my, that's a whole nother teaching. But it's this motivation of joy. So Father, I ask, Lord, help us to, to own and to, to believe your word. It is hard. It's uncomfortable to say the words, I'm your favorite. It's hard to believe them. Maybe it's easy to say them jokingly, but it's hard to believe those words, I'm your favorite. And not in a comparison way, but Lord, in a way that is full of faith because of Jesus Christ and the work that he has done because he switched places with me. Lord, I'm your favorite. Help us to believe those words. Help us to believe that truth, Lord, that the propitiation of our sins, the great switcheroo, that we have traded places with your beloved son in whom you're well pleased. And because of that, we are your beloved children in whom you're well pleased, that you're proud of us. Lord, thank you that you come down. All the different ways throughout history and throughout scripture and throughout all the different characters, Lord, from Abraham to Jacob coming tackling him in the middle of the night, Lord, and wrestling with him, to Paul on the road to Damascus, Lord. It didn't matter if, if these guys were doing the right thing or the wrong thing, Lord. It was about you coming down into their lives and invading them, Lord. It doesn't matter if you're timid or quiet, Lord, like Mary. Lord, you come down and you work in our lives. 
Thank you, Lord. Cause us to celebrate that and remember that. Lord, as we encounter trials, Lord, you're at work in those things. Lord, I pray that you would draw us close to yourself. We'd be able to proclaim that truth in our own lives that we're your favorite, but we'd also, Lord, we'd see that that's true.